All right, turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22. The Lord permits it. I just want to speak a little while this morning on this thing called love. Verse number 35. The Bible says, Then one of them, which was a lawyer, asked him a question, tempting him and saying, Master, which is the great commandment of the law? And Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. Verse 39, And the second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Let's pray. Amen. So Jesus is asked about the greatest commandment, and he sums them all up in two commandments. And uh, I just want to take a look at that. He says to love God with all your heart, mind, and soul. We've talked about this before, but we're going here again. And he talked about loving others. He said to love your neighbor as yourself. Now, as Christians... And I'm going to tie these two things together. As Christians out in the world, when we're looking at others, we have a a commission as Christians. Over in uh, 1 Corinthians, it talks about we have a ministry of reconciliation. Our our job as Christians, we don't just go through life. The purpose, we have a purpose, believe it or not, as Christians. And our purpose is to lead others to Christ. And our purpose is to help build others up. We see that over in Ephesians where it talks about the edification of the church, the building up of others. Those that are weaker, those that you have your mature Christians that have been mature a long time or that have grown in Christ and grown close to him. And you have others that have gotten saved but might not have a full understanding of what it is to be a Christian. A lot of people just go through life. It's like I... I'm, I'm a Christian. Why? Well, I got saved when I was 11 years old. I remember for much of my life, that's about all I knew. As I got saved when I was 11 years old, I knew that I was going to heaven. I knew that I wasn't going to hell. I knew I'd been convicted in my heart when the preacher was preaching. And when I went down there and I prayed to accept Jesus Christ as my Savior. But my walk stagnated from that point on. Because there wasn't someone to lead me further down the road. And uh, that's where the discipleship comes in. You can't be there for everybody. If you lead someone to the Lord and your paths part, the Lord puts you in that person's life for just long enough for them to be saved. But he puts someone else in their path to help them grow, possibly. And we had to accept that. And, you know, we don't always get to help people. But by the same token... We can be somebody that God has sent someone to to help them grow. Maybe someone else led them to the Lord. You know, Paul said, I planted Apollo's water. God gave the increase. I mean, I got that a little backwards. But it's the, it's the law of sowing and reaping. Some plant, some sow. Uh, some plant, some reap, and, you know, the harvest. And I'll say that there's also some people that'll plow the ground. Amen. You first get to a field and there's nothing but dirt. There's clods. It has never been broken up. It won't grow real good. 
and there's dirt and clods, and you get out there, and well, who am I lying to? The, only, the place I've seen this is on a little house on the prairie. I've seen Charles go out there, and he's got to break up the land. He gets that plow in there, and he, he breaks up the land, and there's rocks in there that he hit against, and you got to throw them out. Sometimes you got to dig out a boulder. Well, how does that apply in our Christian life or in the life of someone else? You know, sometimes people got a hard heart. And sometimes they got to hear something mean. You say, well, preacher, you telling me to be mean to somebody? No, I'm telling you to be truthful to somebody. You know, have I told you the truth and I'm, I'm therefore becoming your enemy? You, you let them know about hell. You let them uh, know about Revelation chapter 20. You know, that's the stuff. It's, it's hard. When you're leading someone to Christ or when you're witnessing to someone, one of the hardest times is when you're talking to them and you can see it breaking their heart. I don't know if y'all remember when we were watching the videos from Way of the Master and I paused it on the one part and you saw the girl. She started out joking. And then right there when he, when he told her, you know, and she realized, she said, well, I'm, I'm going to hell. And he said, does that bother you? And I paused it. And you could see her eyes kind of downcast. It's hard to watch somebody where the Lord's working on them. Because you just want to say, oh, it's okay. You want to tell them it'll be all right. You just accept. But you got to let somebody go through that. That's breaking up the ground. That's plowing. <coughs> so how does that apply to our passage here? Love God, love others. Because that's essentially what he's saying here. He says, Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. The way to remember that is love God. And the second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And that's loving others. He said, On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. And we'll get to that. But we have a commission as Christians. When you go to Matthew 28, 19, and 20, you don't have to, but we're just going to look at that. It says, go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. So we have a commission as Christians. It's a ministry of reconciliation. That's reconciling people to God. The other part of this or part of, part of that is going into all the world and preaching the gospel. We can't go anywhere, everywhere, so, you know, we got Brother Drake, Brother David, you know, I'd like to support. We just hadn't had the meeting. But uh, we, we, we send money to the, wow, this mind of mine. <laughs> there you go, Samaritan's Purse and the PTSD Foundation. That's all I needed was a little kick in the pants. But we send money to them, and they help other people. The PTSD Foundation, they weren't exactly a Christian ministry, but they are Christians, and they, and they do help people. So, yeah, Samaritan's Purse, and we were just talking about shoeboxes. Those shoeboxes, when we load them up, yeah, we're giving them some Christmas presents. And uh, just an aside here, you know, the understanding is you want something that lasts longer than an Easter toy. Easter morning, I used to get these little toys, like you'd squeeze it, and a little chicken, the egg would roll around, and the chicken would come out, you know, because the egg would disappear. That'd last about five minutes. I call them Easter toys. You know, you give them a flashlight, give them a decent one. If, you know, if you can't give much, just give what you can, but make it good. Amen? So when they get the box, don't go for numbers, go for a little bit for quality. You know, make it special. 
But the purpose of those boxes and the purpose of what Samaritan's Purse does is to lead people to the Lord. You squeeze a gospel track in there, better than anything. You squeeze a letter in there to let them know people are praying for them, you know. You never know what change will happen until you get on the other side of glory and you're standing up there and some young man or some older man who's a preacher, you know, and he'll tell you, you know, because of what you did, this is what happened. I got a little choked up. But teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. They were disciples. They spent time with the Lord Jesus Christ and they learned from him. But they weren't just to sit there like a stagnant pond where the water comes in and doesn't leave. It's to flow out and it's to be a help to other people. Now, as a church, when the water just comes in and it doesn't flow out, it becomes stagnant. There's no growth. There's death. And uh, some of y'all are saying maybe like I did just now, "Uh uh-oh. But we want to flow out. We want to look at our ministry. We want to look at what we can do to reach out to people, to help people to grow. And that's discipleship. I've talked about discipleship. You know, I've tried to do discipleship. I've tried, the, the way that I learned, you know, was uh, going through and teaching them some basic doctrine and stuff. But you know what discipleship really is? It's being an example to somebody. It's, 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 it's having your own life in, right in such a way with God that somebody else can see it and you're able to help them in that time of need. And when you help them, it's not you giving them Dr. Phil advice. It's not you giving them advice from what you saw on Oprah. But it's you being able to give them advice from the Word of God. I like that lesson. I don't know what y'all thought of it, but I like the lesson this morning in Sunday school because as I worked through it, and said, because I, I had the question when I first started looking. Well, did David do what was right when he allowed Absalom to come back? And in our heart, we say, that's his son. He he should be forgiven, and he should be allowed to come back. But when we look at God's word, we see that God's word said something else, that God had made an allowance for those that accidentally killed somebody. But for Absalom, and some of y'all are wondering, what are you talking about? I'm just talking about the lesson. But God made an allowance, but at the same time, God has a law. (coughs) You know, we like to say nowadays, I hear it out in the political world, facts don't care about your feelings. God's word cares about your feelings, but God's word is also God's word. God shows us how we're supposed to handle things or how he has set it up. And by discipling someone, by being an example to someone, you show them how to navigate this world because you've been through some bumps. You've been through some storms. Amen. I know I've been through a few storms. People don't always want to listen. That's fine. But discipling somebody is understanding, letting the Lord take the lead on that. So we're to go into all the world, whatsoever things I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always. So in order to lead someone to Christ or in order to disciple someone, you have to have been concerned enough for their soul. And that's the loving others where that comes in. In order to help a Christian younger in the faith to grow to maturity, you have to have a concern for their life and be willing to give a part of your life to them. There has to be a special element in the relationship, something that can't be printed in a packet or handed out. And the answer to that, something special came to me as I read. Look at John uh, 15, chapter 12. I mean, John chapter 15, verse number 12. He says, this is my commandment. John chapter 15. 
One of the reasons talking about the law and grace means so much to me is because it's so important. It carries you from the realm of I have to do this and I have to do that to the realm of loving God. To the, from the realm of working yourself crazy to please God to go into the realm of having that peace that passeth all understanding through Jesus Christ. And when you understand that, it takes you to another level. Jesus said in John chapter 15, verse 12, he said, This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. See, when you look at uh, 16, he says, let's see, because I'm jumping off script here. Give me a second. Verse number 10, he says, if you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my father's commandments, abide in his love. Now, it's true that when we see the commandments, the, the law, let's say the basic 10 commandments, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not commit adultery, you know, uh, putting God first. When we look at just the Ten Commandments and basic, you want to keep those. It doesn't, it doesn't free you from them. That's still God's law. That's what he laid out. But I've seen people use this verse so many times that say, well, you've got to keep the commandments. You've got to keep the commandments. This goes along with our lessons in Galatians, right? And, but... When you read a little further here, you see what Jesus says. He says what his commandment is that he's given in this passage. So they say in verse number 10, he says, If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. And then he goes on in verse number 12. He says, This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. See, Jesus simplified things. He knocked it down simply. He says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. And then in verse number 13, he lays it out. He says, greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And, you know, I had, I had always thought about the man that would jump on a grenade for, in, the, in the foxhole, right? The grenade comes into the foxhole, and the man loves his... <clears throat> You know, the brave soldier that jumps on the grenade to save his other friends, to take all of the explosion on himself. Well, back in 2017, when we were still in Afghanistan and when all the, when the terrorists were still work, well, they're working now. There's just nobody there to stop them. But uh, this article that I'd found a couple years ago, in Kabul, Afghanistan, no one will ever know what went through the mind of Afghan police lieutenant Saeed Bassam Pacha. Pasha, in those moments when he came face to face with a man he suspected of being a suicide bomber on Thursday afternoon, but it whatever it was, he didn't hesitate to act. At his back was a crowd of civilians, many of them dignitaries, leaving the hall he was guarding around him were officers from the police company he commanded, and the suspect had just approached their heavily guarded gate. The only way in or out of the compound was around the hall. Broad-shouldered and heavily muscled, Lieutenant Pasha shouted at the suspect to halt, but instead the man started running. The officer stopped, throwing his arm around him in a bear hug. A second later, the bomber detonated the explosive vest hidden under his coat. Fourteen people, including Lieutenant Pasha and seven other police officers, as well as six civilians, were killed. Eighteen others were wounded. Seven police and eleven civilians, said Basser Mujahid. 
a police spokesman. There was little doubt the death toll would have been far higher without the lieutenant's body blunting the blast, Mr. Mujahid said. He's a hero. He saved many lives, he said. All seven of those policemen are heroes, but especially him. Just think if the suicide attacker got past the gate, what would have happened? You can't even imagine. Somebody is willing to give their lives for their friends. Now that's one way to do it. And Jesus was talking about himself also. He gave his life for us. He died on the cross for us, for our sins. And that's what he's talking about. So that vision immediately comes to mind is that of a soldier throwing himself on a grenade to save his fellows. But also it could be said that when Jesus spoke those words, he wasn't only speaking of dying for our friends, not necessarily jumping on a grenade, but maybe dying to self. Is what gets in the way more than, you'll never see a grenade probably in your life, but what'll stop you from witnessing to someone? What'll stop you from caring for someone? What will stop someone from being there for someone, for being in that phone call at 10 o'clock or 3 o'clock in the morning? What'll stop someone? It's self. Self will stop you. Self will tell you, I need to go back to sleep. Self will tell you, I need to step away from this. I need to, I need to get away. In uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 31, Paul says, I died daily. So laying down our lives may also mean putting aside ourselves. It may mean putting aside those things in our life that occupy it and they're important to us, but keep us from loving others, from taking an interest in the lives of those around us. That thing that prevents us from looking past ourselves. After all, don't we have problems of our own that need to be dealt with? I, I told y'all some of mine when I got up here mouthing off. It's real hard to go to work all day and then come home and then, you know, it's, it's hard. And then uh, the whole book of Job is about Job. We know Job. If anyone suffered in the Bible, it was Job. He lost everything he had, his family, his wealth, and his health. The only thing that he had that was left was his lovely wife who told him to curse God and die. Indeed, he's not that wife. She loves me. Job's wife might have loved him too, but she's just told him, just curse God and die, Job. Just get it over with. And uh, his friends... Also, who did all right sitting with him quietly for many days until they opened their mouth to tell him how much of a sinner he must be for God to make him suffer in such a way. They didn't even, Romans 8, 28 him. Or we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, for them that are called according to his purpose. You know, when everything is going on, you know that's true, but it's hard to hear and it just doesn't help. I know that God's got a plan on the other side of this, but let me tell you something. Them alligators chewing on my feet right now, they hurt a lot. And it could be in anything. I know when my dad passed away, I got a couple phone calls. I, I think I hadn't been home very long that day. It's like I, I just needed, needed a little bit of time to process what had just happened. And, uh, but I was grateful for the calls. So they opened their mouth and they told him, well, you must be a sinner, Job. This is why all this is happening. At times, he's navel-gazing, he's being introspective, you know, he's looking at himself, and at other times, he's, he's looking at his misfortune and justifying himself to those wonderful friends. Other times, he's marveling at God's creation until you get to Job 
It says, and the Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. And also the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. I read that in my utmost for his highest years ago. I still read that through that devotional. But I always thought about that. Job had all these problems that went on. But, you know, in spite of the problems that we go, it's when we look on others that things begin to change. It's kind of like the man whose arm was hurting, you know, and he's complaining about it, and then he's walking down the road, and he sees a man with no arm. I had an illustration. Uh, you know, it was in our own life with, with Caleb. You know, Caleb, nine years old, we found out he might be losing his sight as he gets older, and that was tough. And then I saw on the Internet, I saw a little kid holding up a sign about peace or whatever, and uh, that kid had been killed in a terrorist attack. It's like he might lose his sight. We'll still have our son. You know, so your perspective changes when you begin to look on other people. Your Christian walk may be tough. It may be hard. There may be some struggles that you're going through. But when you begin to help someone else, you, you want to you quit being down, see someone else get saved and see the light in their eyes when their whole world changes, when they know, when they know that they know. They no longer have to go to hell. That they are reconciled, that ministry of reconciliation, that they are reconciled to the God above in heaven. The one who before was a stranger to them. The one who before didn't seem to care about them in all their life. But they find out that Jesus loved them. And he said, this is the first... So, let's see, God's wrath was kindled against his three friends who had been insulting his servant Job... Yet Job prayed for them in spite of that. And because he did that, God not only turned away from his wrath, but he also restored Job. So there's love. Now back to the commandments answer that Jesus gave. The lawyer asked Jesus what the greatest of all the commandments was. And Jesus answered him and said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. And he said that this is the first and great commandment. So we're to love God. Now, love isn't some empty emotion that you just muster up. You know, in today's world, love has become something corrupted. People make love. People do this. People, and, and the people that do, they'll go on the next day and they'll make love to someone else. And love's been corrupted. Love's been turned into something small and tiny. But in the Bible, love means something. And God gives us the example by his love toward us. Now, my love for Dee is based on knowing her and the love that she has for me. If all these years I had loved her and she didn't love me back, it'd be kind of an empty relationship, wouldn't it? But it's a mutual love for one another. You can love someone, not be loved back, a certain emptiness, and there's a need to move on and get on with your life. In your heart, you may still love them, but when there isn't love, it's just empty. But, you know, God loved us before we even thought about loving him, before we were even returning our love to him, God loved us. 1 John 4.10 says, Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God loved us, we ought also to love one another. No man has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfected in us. 
No man, so no man has seen God, but through our love for each other, his love is shown to us. You know how people talk about you're the only Bible some people ever read? It's your care for one another. It's your care for other people. In other words, you see a selfish Christian. You see a Christian that's out for themselves. I, I, I think of some illustrations off the top of my head. I don't even know if I can do it justice, but I remember reading an article a few years back when uh, uh, oh, Lakewood Church up there, they were on the airplane, and his wife was treating the stewardess like junk or whatever. Man, it made news. That was the example laid out. You know, Anytime some big-name Christian messes up or whatever they are, but if they're representing God and they treat other people like junk, that's going to be what comes out. You can love a thousand people or you can, uh, and I'm talking in Bible terms, you can care for a thousand people. You treat one bad, you know, and they talk about in cells, it's a rule of 10. That's what it used to be before the internet and all that. Now it's like rule of 10 million, I think. I don't know. But it gets out there. Said no man, verse number 12 said of uh, 1 John 4, 12, no man has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us and his love is perfected in us. And then in Romans 5, 8, it says, but God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Knowing that God loved you, even in your sinful state, understanding that kind of love that God had for you. That makes a little difference when Jesus says you're to love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Because he loved you first. Now, we don't love God the way we should. In fact, we often know only turn our back on him. God didn't set a condition for sending his son. God didn't say, all right, listen up, sinners. I love you guys, but until you start loving me with all your heart, mind, and soul... I'm not going to do anything for you. If you do that, then I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to send my son down to die for your sins. If you'll just love me like you're supposed to. He didn't set that condition. Romans 5, 8 said that God commendeth his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God did something for us that we'll never earn. That's the love of God. And as John said in 1 John 4, 11, he said, Beloved, if God lo so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Now, just imagine how that raises stakes for a minute. We who are unworthy receive the greatest gift of all time. The Bible says there's none righteous, no, not one. All of our righteousness is as filthy rags. Nothing we could do could please God. In spite of that, God sent his son down into this world this filthy, sin-infested world, it'd, like, it'd be like you going to a mud hut or even worse because God couldn't be around sin. But he sent his son in the fullness of time, born of a woman. Over in Galatians chapter 3. Full of a people who not only had no love for his son, they were trying every which way they could to get rid of him. John said, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. John didn't stop there. John, didn't, John wanted to make sure that you didn't miss the point. Over in verse 12, he said, No man has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfected in us. So we can't see God directly, but he can show his love through us. 
like a conduit. Hereby we know that we dwell in him and he in us because he hath given us his spirit. And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Verse 15, whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God and God in him. Just get carried away on this. Verse 17, herein is our love made perfect that we may have boldness in the day of judgment because as he is, so we are in the world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. We didn't have to take it as first step. So there it is again. He loved us first. He didn't wait around for us to wake up. Verse 20 says, If a man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he, he that loveth not his brother, whom he hath seen, how can he love God, whom he hath not seen? So, if you can't love the person, remember, this is all Bible. You've got to step out of today's corrupted concept of love. It's, it's caring enough about what happens to somebody. And it's caring enough to see past what's on the surface. It's caring enough to see past callousness sometimes. And I've, I've been tried a little bit on that. And, and it hurts. Let me tell you something. When you can see past what's going on on the outside and you can see the inside, you can see someone's heart. And you say, well, how do you see someone's heart? You understand their position. Number one, you tell you, you understand for yourself, it's like, but for the grace of God, there go I. God has shown me enough where I can avoid those problems that they're in. But I've got other problems that I struggle with that somebody else would look at and say, I don't have a problem with that. And so it's when you understand your position in Christ, there is none righteous, no, not one. When you understand your position in God and you look at someone else, you begin to see the inside. You begin to see a struggle that takes place besides that crust on the outside. Now there's something that'll hurt you, but you gotta trust God on some things. We won't get into that, but we're talking about the love of God and loving others. If a man say, I love God and hateth his brother, he's a liar, for he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And we're talking about your brother. We're talking about your fellow Christians here. Verse 21, and this commandment have we from him that he who loveth God loveth his brother also. John 15, 12, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. That's a lot of love. Remember that John wrote both the book of John and the first John letter. And so we're, we are to love God, knowing that he loved us enough to send his son to die for our sins. It makes it understandable and easy to return his love and to give it to others. But not only are we to love God because he first loved us, but there's the other part, the other second commandment. You're to love your neighbor as yourself. Now God said, hey, you don't have to love, well, God says to love God with all your heart, mind, and body, mind, and soul. And then he says, love your neighbor as yourself. Now there is a challenge. So Jesus didn't stop with one commandment when he was asked about the greatest commandment. He pulled out a big commandment 
it wasn't the Big Ten. He pulled it from Leviticus. He goes on to say, And the second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And then he says in verse 40, On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Now, when you take that statement and you look at that and you say, well, Jesus, and so I know some of y'all are way ahead because I've taught about this before. But he said, well, Jesus, you, you've just broken down all the law and the prophets, all, the, all 39 books of the Old Testament. You've broken this down into two commandments. How, could, how in the world could he do that? And you step back and look at the Ten Commandments. But he says, uh, Paul discussed this in Romans. In Romans 13, 8, he says, Owe no man anything but to love one another, for he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. Now, that's interesting. When you talk about keeping the law, how do you, how do you love, how does loving one another? And see, that's our liberty in Christ. We're freed from the law. We're freed from the judgment of the law. I was reading a little bit of Martin Luther, but not enough to really, uh, talk about it on this sermon, but I just want to give you a little bit of an insight. And Martin Luther talked about how we, we don't have to keep the law. We're freed from the law. I, I just forgot it. <laughs> you shouldn't even try stuff like that. It's coming. But oh, no man, anything but a love one another for he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law for this. Thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet. And if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. He said, love worketh no ill to his neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. If you love your neighbor and the brethren, you won't do these things. If you love your neighbor, you won't commit adultery with his wife or her husband. If you love your neighbor, you won't kill him or her. If you love your neighbor, you won't steal from him, no matter how cool or shiny it is. If you love your neighbor, you won't lie to him. If you love your neighbor, you won't lust after what they have. And that would make keeping up with the Joneses kind of a non sequitur, wouldn't it? That shiny mower, you don't worry about it. I'm glad you got that. So if you love your neighbor the way you love yourself, you won't want anything bad happening to them because you wouldn't want anything bad happening to yourself. That makes the law a lot easier to keep, doesn't it? Than going down the checklist. Well, I hadn't killed anybody. Well, I hadn't committed adultery. I hadn't done this. I hadn't. And it's like it just becomes a part of you. When your heart and your mind on the welfare of others. When, when you care about someone's soul, you don't want to hurt them. You know, when I quit drinking beer, when I was worried about other people seeing it, you say, well, you're just, you're just a hypocrite. Well, no. I just know that there's some people that struggle with it. There's some people that struggle with alcohol. And I just don't know very many people that associate beer with church. I don't know that there's many people that associate beer with... Uh, with the Bible. I, I hadn't seen too many beer and Bible sessions. And it was something, is it going to send you to hell if you, no, it won't. But I even, at one point, and this isn't me being righteous, this is just telling you the conviction that I got under over something because I cared enough about my testimony to someone else 
I was at the, at the company Christmas party, and this was years ago, probably 20 years ago or so. Yeah, 2002, 2003. So I'm at the company Christmas party, and they actually got the IBC root beer, the brown bottle. And I'm holding that, and I'm thinking, what does that look like to somebody else? You're at a party. I put the root beer down. You don't have to. You can keep it. Do what you want. But I'm telling you that when you care enough about someone else getting saved, when you care enough about somebody, then you avoid all appearance of evil. Because you would rather see them go to heaven than stand on your rights and stand on, I have this, and I don't have to give it up. You can't tell me. But when you think about witnessing someone, and it's like Brother Grady said, you know, he, he, he went to, uh, he was on visitation. He was witnessing it to a guy, and he said, is it all right if I drink a beer? He said, sure, we can pray over it. So the point is, it isn't to get on to you about these specific things or about anything. But when you put the Lord first, when you love God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and you care for the souls around you, you begin to put yourself aside. Paul talked about that with the meat from the shambles. He said there was nothing wrong with eating that meat. It might have been offered to idols. We know that an idol is nothing in this world, he said. You know, it's just, it's, it's something a man made and it's something another man bowed down to and worshiped. It's nothing. We know that we have the God of the universe. We have the God of creation. We, the meat that was offered to him was just meat sat in front of a statue. But he, and, and I'm paraphrasing all of this, understand, you know, and Paul talked about going to eat meat and the, the brother over there, he might have been at the temple, he might have been bowed down to that idol, he might have bought the meat and offered it to the idol and expected something in return. And in his mind, it still means something. Paul said, if meat making my brother to offend, I'll eat no meat while I yet live. I'm not sure if I got that quote exactly right, but that's essentially what he's saying. If it's going to cause my brother to stumble, I'm going to put it aside. That's loving others before yourself. And that means a lot more than the preacher getting up here and saying, well, these are the things you can't do. These are the things that you can do. And this is where understanding the difference between the liberty that we have in Christ and the law. He said, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are expedient, Paul said. Let's see if I can get back on this. If you love your neighbor, you're doing something that God was laying out for his people in writing and action from the time of Genesis to the book of Malachi and throughout the New Testament as well. When Cain killed Abel, he wasn't loving his neighbor. 1 John 3.10, In this the children of God are manifest in the children of the devil. In other words, there's these two categories of people. This is how you know who they are. Whosoever doth not... Righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. It's funny when you start looking through a term and you see how many places you see it about God's concern for how much we care for each other and how much we love him. Well, this is the message going on, verse number, 1 John three eleven. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of that wicked one and slew his brother, and wherefore slew he him? Because his own works were evil and his brother's righteous. Um, so when Jonah refused to go to Nineveh and God put him in the belly of the well for three days, the lesson he should have learned was to love his neighbors, the Ninevites, as himself. 
So the next question is, how do we put that love into action? How do we put feet on love? Maybe this will answer it. But Romans chapter 12, verse 9, let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. In other words, you know, uh, a long time ago when I read a book, How to Win Friends and Influence People, you know, you, you just the title alone makes you kind of cringe, right? But I read through that book, and I told you before, I can get something good out of whatever. I read through that book, and I said, you know, this is kind of permission to be sincere to people. This is, commit, this is kind of permission to, to put others first. Because in the book, he talked about the way to get people on your side is to get them to talk about themselves. You can do that in a deceptive way. Or you can take that as a cautionary tale. You, can, you know, it, it is better to put other people first. I don't, I, that one felt kind of flat. But be kindly affection one to another, brotherly love, in honor, preferring one another. Not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer. This is putting feet on it. And this is over in 1 John chapter number... First um, John chapter number one, I think. So y'all know what's different today. I got a whole page of notes. So rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer, distributing to the necessity of the saints, giving the hospitality, bless them which persecute you, bless and curse not. Do you see how the root of all this is loving others? He says, rejoice to them with them that do rejoice and weep with them that weep. Rejoice with them. Somebody gets something, you're rejoicing with them. You're not coveting it. You're not jealous of them. You see how that fits in with the commandments? He says, be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. In other words, it's understanding people. It's understanding them on their level. And... uh but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. Why can't you live like I do? I got all this figured out. <laughs> Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. You see how love is the root of all of this? He said, Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink, for in so doing thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. You don't do it to keep those coals. It's just going to do it. Loving others. Loving your neighbor as you love yourself. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. With such a simple thing like love your neighbor as yourself, it seems like such a steep hurdle, but when you get a hold of it and don't let go, it can change your entire perspective. It's then that a thing like discipleship, laying aside your life or your time, the stuff that life is made of, seems to be more of a commandment because if you love your neighbor as yourself, you would want someone to take up that time with you to teach you, to guide you, and to show you the love of God so that you could avoid the pitfalls while learning more about sharing God's love with people. There's a show uh, years ago, and we're, we're getting close to the end here. 
There's a show, and it's, I guess it's still around, but Undercover Boss. Y'all remember that? Y'all ever seen that? I remember this one episode where it was at gym, and the boss is working with this woman at the front desk. You remember her, too? And she was shamed. And she, he's working at that gym with her and at the counter, and he's asking her how to do things and all that. And she was just rude as all get out. One of the customers would walk away, and she was just rude. And uh, the way she mixed, you know, she would overmix it. She didn't care about how it was supposed to be done. And everything was, it's like if there was an example of how not to be around your boss or how not to be a, an employee, she set that example. And I remember seeing at the end, you know, everybody else is, oh, you did so well, you worked so hard, I'm going to do this for you, I'm going to do that, I'm going to give you a private jet airplane in your own island and everything, you know, they're giving all the gibs. And uh, she gets up there, yeah, you're not working out. <laughs> you know, it was a bad time standing before the boss. Now imagine standing before Jesus Christ. Because he is the ultimate undercover boss. Amen. Matthew twenty five thirty four. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungered, and you gave me meat. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord... When saw we thee, and hungered, and fed, or thirsty, and gave thee drink? When, he saw, when we saw thee a stranger, and took thee in, or naked, and clothed? Or when we saw thee sick, or in prison, and came unto thee? And the king shall answer, and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, and as much as you have done it unto the least of these my brethren, you have done it unto me. Now, from a Bible believer, brethren, I know that that's a whole other dispensation. I know that's a whole different time as a judgment of nations, but spiritual application for us, yes, it applies in how you treat others. And verse 42, for I was in hunger and you gave me meat. I was thirsty and you gave me, oh, I'm skipping ahead. And the king shall answer and say unto them, verily I say, as much as you have done unto the least of these, my brethren, you have done it unto me. Then shall he say unto them on the left, Depart from me, ye cursed into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was in hunger, and you gave me no meat. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you took me not in. Naked, and you clothed me not. Sick, and in prison, and you visited me not. Then shall they also answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee in hunger, or thirst, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister unto thee? Then shall he answer them, saying, Verily I say unto you, and as much as you did it not to one of the least of these, you did it not to me. And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous unto life eternal. <coughs> now, I just want to clarify that that's in a different dispensation. That's at the end of time. We are sealed with the Holy Spirit until the day of redemption. But do you really think that just because you're getting in by the skin of your teeth when you're standing up there and your deeds are thrown onto the fire and it goes whoosh. And those, that stone and gold, you know, the jewels and the gold, they're not there because you didn't do anything. How's that going to be that day when you're looking at the ultimate undercover boss? God loved us before we first loved him. 
God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He died for you. Y'all heard me say it. But eternal life is not yours unless you accept that gift. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Whosoever believeth in him. It's a gift. Have you ever in your life accepted that gift that Jesus Christ has offered? And if you haven't, would you like to know how? You can pray. Saying the words doesn't get you into heaven. But it's understanding with the heart what Jesus did for you. You can pray, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know that my deeds won't get me into heaven. I know that I'm not righteous. I know that I've sinned. And I know that the wages of sin is death. But I also know that God sent you to die on the cross to take the penalty for my sins. And I accept that payment, Lord. I ask you into my heart to be my Lord and Savior. I don't want to walk through this world alone. I don't want to fear death. I want to know the peace of God that passeth all understanding. You pray whatever God puts on your heart, but it's a matter of the heart. Righteousness doesn't come by words. It comes by belief. It comes by faith in God. Have you ever at any point in your life put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? While she plays...